0: broadcasting live from the business radio x studios it's time for women in motion brought to you by wbec west join forces succeed together now here's your host
1: Lee Cantor here with Dr. Pamela Williamson, Women in Motion, brought to you by WeBeck West. So excited about this show. This show, we're going to be focusing in on Black women entrepreneurs in motion. Dr. Pamela, you have brought together quite the crowd today. Can you share who we've got?
2: Definitely, and and you are absolutely right. I did bring a great crowd today. So today on Women in Motion, we are celebrating Juneteenth, also known as Emancipation. Patient day by having a little coffee and lots of conversation with Pat Crenshaw, the president and CEO of the Pacific Southwest Minority Supplier Development Council, covering both Arizona and San Diego markets, Pam Coleman, chef and CEO of Missy's Homestyle Cooking, and Angela Garman, managing member and founder, and also business strategist of ARG Coaching and Consulting Group.
1: Well, since this is a roundtable and the topic is Black women entrepreneurs, I thought we'd start kind of at the beginning as we have a room full of Black women entrepreneurs, but let's talk about challenges. And we'll start with you, Pat. Any challenges that you can share that Black women entrepreneurs
3: face? Thank you. Yes, it is. The main challenge that that Black women face is the idea of finding opportunities that will Automatically fit their business right away. It is sometimes it's difficult to start, and then once you get started and get that first client, get that second client, it sort of start rolling after that. But the but the start is the that one that first client that will have an impact, not just that client that you are volunteering for or of that type of client, but it's one that you can say, "Hey, I have that." have now gotten that check and I know that I can do this. That is the biggest, that is one of the biggest challenges is getting past, getting past that first thing.
1: So Pam, do you find that, that getting paid for the first time is what moves an entrepreneur from maybe a wantrepreneur to an actual entrepreneur when, when the check clears?
2: Well, uh, yes, obviously that kind of validates what you're doing out there and it does it it gives you the incentives and and the motives to to keep pushing on and you know something for me it is just like well you believe in what I'm doing so to pay me for the value that I bring is definitely uh, the thing that keeps me moving.
1: Now Angela did you find the same thing that um, getting paid is what kind of Launched you to a new level that gave you the confidence and the the kind of credibility that says, yes, I can really do this. I'm getting paid for it.
0: You know, I think getting paid, yes, that's always the end goal. But when I think about my initial start in business, one of the, I have two major challenges that really stick out. And the first one was really how do I position my company to be attractive to that corporate client, and then the second one is how do I connect with decision makers. And I remember early on when I started my business, this woman um, had invited me to have coffee with her and her husband. Her husband is also an entrepreneur. He founded and and scaled to a multi-million dollar consulting firm and she wanted to connect with me to provide me with that mentorship and i remember him sitting down with me at the table and he said angela my first client was nasa and oftentimes what i see is that women do not come to the table and ask to speak to that president or the ceo of the company and make those connections right away And my response to him, Lee, was, you know, I really don't have contacts with a company such as NASA. And so when you think about, um, when I think about women business ownership, specifically minorities, oftentimes we lack the connections to those larger corporations and those key decision makers. And we're often met with those gatekeepers or the admins. And so how do you begin to penetrate your market? How do you begin to really connect with your ideal clients? And I find that most often when I talk to when I look back on my own personal journey, but then also when I begin to connect with other women and minorities in business.
1: So Angela, how did you build your network and those relationships so they could positively impact your business?
0: You know, I began to look and see where were my ideal clients at? And so instead of just networking haphazardly, which is what I did when I first got started, I literally started to be strategic about it. Where is my ideal client and how can I connect with them? And so, really connecting with organizations like Webeck West or NABO or um, PSW those organizations really helped me to scale and to position myself differently uh, within the marketplace.
1: Now, Pat, how do you recommend uh, the people that you deal with kind of leverage their network and leverage, you know, the work you're doing at uh, Pacific Southwest Minority Supplier Development Council?
3: Building relationships, building those relationships so that um, I call them your extended sales sales force. You can't be everywhere, but you can get a referral from anywhere. from And so more the more the people get an opportunity to meet with you and to get to know you and your business, then they can become your extended sales force. And that is something I think that, that people don't think about. The other thing is, is keep in mind that most businesses do business with people they know that they're familiar, familiar with. And so by building that relationship past, oh, I want to do business with you, And just sort of looking at the general pictures of like looking at asking a life question. I mean, it can be as simple as what's your favorite restaurant. It does not have to be a proven uh, question like, you know, how many kids you have or something of that nature on the personal side. But sort of finding that that um, equal place that you can do it so that when you build that relationship and then they begin to trust you as an individual and then they trust your business because now they get to know you.
1: Do you find that sometimes, Pat, do you find that sometimes uh, people try to accelerate the relationship building and they don't kind of treat each other kind of human to human, but they're just trying to, like they're hungry for a sale. So they're just trying to accelerate everything when they got to kind of let things breathe a little bit.
3: All the time, Lee, it is, it is walking up to someone and saying that you want to make it do a sale and introducing your business instead of introducing yourself. Um, And you need to introduce yourself first. Because if you introduce your business and they don't know who you are, the odds start begin to drop very quickly. Because first impression matters, and so it is important that you sort of think about the individual. Although the corporation, the person may be um, is uh, excuse me. Although the the person is representing that corporation, isn't their individual first? And so you have to think. You have you really want to think about that that personal connection.
1: Now, uh, Pam, have you found that having uh, a network that is strategic uh, has helped you in your business to be able to really get to know kind of key players and build relationships over time so that uh, you can kind of get business with them down the road, maybe not the first day you met them?
2: No, absolutely. And uh, just to say, uh, I haven't, become a part of uh, We Back West has been a game changer in my arena. Uh, most of uh, my clients in the arena have been part of a private sector. So uh, because of this certification, I'm, I'm exposed more to um, to corporate opportunities, which is allowing uh, the business to scale. So uh, absolutely.
1: So now speaking of resources that can help um the um, black women entrepreneur, you mentioned WeBeck West, and uh, and I'm sure we're going to mention Pacific Southwest Minority Supplier Development Council. And your experience, Pam, what's kind of the best way to leverage resources like that? How do you kind of wring out the most value from those folks?
2: Well, I guess as we've uh, talked about before is building those relationships. Um, I did, uh, you know, I have realized early in the journey that relationships are very important. So uh, with that, uh, I'm able to, uh, you know, to let people know who I am. I guess that kind of steps in front of me because I absolutely enjoy, uh, you know, working with people uh, on all levels. So uh, but that definitely has has allowed me to um, let people know who I am, what we do and the value that we can bring to uh, to the event.
1: Now, Angela, how do you kind of uh, get the most out of your involvement in, in organizations like that?
0: You know, Lee, every organization that I'm part of, I'm actively participating in any way that I can. So whether that is volunteering to be on a forum or a committee, or even volunteering just to um, be an ambassador, for the group, where however I can get involved, I found that that helps to build credibility um, for myself, it helps to build community, and then it also helps to build connection. And I believe that if you can connect all three of those areas, um, people then begin to see not only um, you as an individual, but it also allows them to see how you navigate in the business space. How do you um, treat other people that are around you? And so leveraging um, or being actively involved in my communities are first and foremost at the forefront of everything that I do to make sure that I get the most out of the experience and also to make sure that I'm able to give um, as well as get from them. Um, and then also taking advantage of the resources that are there. You know, I talk to countless women who um, are starting up businesses and they might join an organization like a We Back West or a PSW. And they're looking at it initially as I'm going to get business. And if I don't get business right away, then I'm not going to renew. And so I often ask them the question is, how do you, how do you measure value And if their value is just measured off of whether or not they get business, then I kind of challenge them with curiosity to really think about it from a different perspective. And what, you know, what kind of resources can you leverage there? What kind of network can you begin to build? And then the connections that you're making, how are they actually moving you closer to or towards your goals. So measuring value a little bit differently when I'm being part of those organizations as well. Um, And actually thinking about how is this organization or partnership with this organization Supporting my business growth, so not just getting me business, but how is it also supporting my business growth? And I look at um, the opportunities that are there that exist in the communities that I'm part of, and I try to maximize those opportunities to my advantage whenever possible.
1: Yeah, I agree a hundred percent, and that's some of the advice I uh, give young people when I'm mentoring them when it comes to these types of organization or any type of business organization is lean into it, go deep on fewer of them, and don't treat them like an ATM machine where you just sign up and you expect money to come out of it just because you you cut a check to them. You have to really kind of embrace them and immerse yourself in there to, to demonstrate leadership, to demonstrate your skills and build relationships authentically in order to get the most out of them down the road. It's always, to me, down the road. You're kind of planting seeds that are going to bear fruit down the road. This is not a transactional relationship. These are human beings that are trying their best to help you. So help them help you so you can get the most out of them. Pat, is that how you counsel You know your members and young people?
3: So I call this a how this is a marathon versus a sprint. And when you, you know, listening to Angela and thinking about how, she, how you sort of engage, I sort of tell them, you know, you became certified. You're now a certified MBE, a Weeby. There is not a company that does a good, have that, that runs a good business that's going to automatically open a contract for you. There's a process, there's, there's a, a contract cycle. So, looking at it from that, getting them to understand it from that standpoint. Okay, so where's the opportunities in the network for you versus saying, I want to do business with this person and sort of t- with this company and sort of targeting that company, knowing that this and, and sometimes you know uh, Dr. Pamela and I know that the contract that, that you're looking for sometimes it just closed out because we've already referred people into it if you know six or eight months ago and they don't they don't corporations normally don't do corp, do contracts for six months they normally do them for a longer period of time. so looking at it as a marathon of getting to know people getting to know the contract cycle, keeping in touch, going through the process and learning. And not only that, I have an MBE that sort of talks about, you know, doing your research on a corporation before you approach them. You know that most corporations have annual reports and other ways um, to communicate with minority owned businesses and women-owned businesses. So do your research before you get before you go to them. And you can ask for a meeting. But if they say no, be prepared to say, okay, so what is your next cycle? What is, you know, when when is it going to come up with something that you're looking for, something like, like my businesses? And some businesses are a little different that they they come up, you know, um not as com- much as contract driven. But um sometimes that, you know, some of the ones that are long contract driven, that are contract driven, it is difficult to get them to understand. We're just not gonna. We just can't find a contract for you and they don't have one available.
1: Right. You have to be patient and and things aren't going to happen on your timeline. It's going to happen on the timeline of the businesses involved. I mean, I think a lot of people, they have to kind of manage their expectations. It's not transactional and that's not how business works. It's just, you know, we're human beings dealing with human beings. Um, Yeah. Now, I'd I'd like to shift gears a little bit and and look at it, this uh, look at business through maybe the lens of somebody who hasn't partnered with or, or worked with uh, a div- diverse entrepreneur community. What could uh, you tell them about some of the benefits of working with and partnering with uh, more diverse entrepreneurs? Um, why don't we start with Angela on this, as your consultant? So, start consulting.
0: That's funny, Lee. So when when I think about working with diverse and minority businesses, I think the main one of the main things that we bring to the table is a different perspective, oftentimes, um, regardless of who you're working with. Ideally, we come from different demographics, different backgrounds, different upbringings. And so as a diverse supplier, we typically will bring a different opinion or voice to the table. Um, And then when I also think about just people in my network and smaller being a smaller business myself, we tend to be more agile, more flexible as well. And so um, I think that those are some strengths whenever we're looking to um, partner with maybe a prime or a tier one um, partner, you know, and so being able to be flexible, being able to be more malleable and um, able to learn through the process. I think that we tend to be a bit more open to the process and, and learning. Um, And so I think not only do we bring that diversity of thought, we also come to the table with the, Willingness to be to want to learn from whomever we're partnering with.
1: Now, Pam, can you share a story, maybe uh, in your business, uh, where you worked with somebody that hadn't been working with a diverse entrepreneur like yourself?
2: Um, you know what? <laughs> it happens probably more than uh, more than enough. Um, I, I think um, I'm coming from the direction of the food uh, industry, obviously, and service. So um, there are a lot of times I have uh, encountered um, opportunities in which they've been used to a, a, a certain type of catering or a certain type of uh, meals in there. But uh, I'd like to think uh, I bring and change the flavor of what a corporate meet might look like or uh, or a corporate event. So um, so absolutely. But it, it is uh, welcomed. It is welcome. People receive that. They receive the company. And I think that's uh, one of the things that. Uh, kind of, you know, makes us different. That's what I'm looking for. Just kind of give give that environment a little more flavor.
1: Well, well, I think that even in the in the name of your company, homestyle, homestyle means different things to different folks. So when you're talking homestyle and you're bringing your style of homestyle to an event, you know, you're opening up eyes to, to people that maybe haven't had that experience before.
2: No, absolutely. Um, homestyle comes from continuing the tradition of cooking with love and there's a difference and that's what i bring to the table and um and absolutely it is definitely uh welcomed uh, along those lines yes
1: <laughs> so now do you can you share a little bit of maybe some conversations you have like if somebody has they um you know they don't know what they don't know like how do you educate them in a way that uh allows them to open their mind to you as a service provider
2: well, absolutely. I mean, um, just, you know, with the different meals and, and things like that, experiencing that. And yes, I do get a lot of uh, this tastes like Aunt Susie's. Uh, my, my foods have memories. Uh, that's one of the things that I, I bring to the table. So that conversation continues. And there are opportunities when I'm serving uh, different meals. It opens the door for me to educate people about a lot of times where uh, Southern foods began. Uh, there's certain foods that have come to America, but by only one way, and that was the slave trade, but they are pretty much ingrained in um, in Southern cooking today. So, yeah, it gives me an opportunity to educate folks about the power of food.
1: Has there been a time uh, maybe you can share uh, when a client of yours, you know, kind of was moved or touched by your food and, and, and you did bring back a memory to them that maybe was unexpected?
2: No, absolutely. Um, you know, I, I had a restaurant a few years ago. I had an uh an older couple come in and uh on my menu were um, you know, I used to do the the chicken livers and things like that. The man literally he almost went into tears cuz he said it's been 50 years since he has had that meal before from where he lived. So that's the connection I think that I have with people and the food that I provide. It is it's just bringing back those memories. And most memories of food are happy ones. (laughs) I've not seen a lot of uh, memories where people are just totally, you know, upset with a food experience. It usually has a happy connection.
1: And an emotional one, because, you know, you're, you're, um, you know, you're exciting more of the senses of an individual, you know, a smell or a taste can bring back a memory from their childhood that, you know, that they hadn't thought about in, in years.
2: No, absolutely. Again, um, you know, and this is from the beginning, uh, a home style was on purpose. I wanted, again, to bring those uh, foods that are prepared with love. Uh, You know, uh, hopefully one day they'll make it an Olympic sport because it is real. I truly, truly believe it is real. And people receive that. They receive that love. You can taste it in the food. And that's what we'll continue to do, bring that service uh, along with Bringing those uh, those happy memories uh, regarding food as well.
1: Now, how has your business impacted the community? Because I would imagine that there's ripple effects on every meal that you serve.
2: No, absolutely, um, I, and, and that's really, really important to me to impact and make a difference in the lives in the communities in which we serve. Um, in that, you know, if I've got this little saying, "Nobody goes hungry on my watch," and I mean that. I'm from a service. Uh, you know perspective that 's kind of why i 'm here on this earth, but being able to um, hire within the community in which we serve, being able to be a part of nonprofit organizations i 'm um, I'm, I'm connected with one now we work with children, we go into elementary schools and middle schools, and teach them about nutrition, introduce them to new fruits and vegetables they might not ever you know have been experienced. So so that that's important to me to stay connected to the community that I serve.
1: Yes. Now, Angela, can you share uh, a story maybe uh, where you've seen kind of an impact like that and, and an impression you've made that had maybe surprised you a little bit?
0: Um, yeah, you know, I, so when I first started my business, I totally first generation entrepreneur had no idea how to really grow a business, how to even develop in a business, you know, develop out of business. I think the easy part is the conceptualizing it and the very start, but actually scaling and growing is a little bit different. And so as I as I begin to grow as an entrepreneur and connecting with um, other women, I was actually able to help them get out of their way, their own way, break down their barriers, even as I'm scaling and growing mine. So I often tell people, "It you know, we're great at what we do, right? I'm great as a change management consulting. I'm great at looking at other people's processes, procedures, helping them put um, the right processes, procedures in place and moving their teams, moving their organizations forward. And so as I began to develop out my business and then started to uh, connect with corporations, connecting with government entities, I learned the art of business. I actually learned how to scale out. And so I, when I, um, I was president of NABO Phoenix for 2019, 2020. I had the privilege of leading that group. And I remember at the start of my presidency for NABO Phoenix, I had sat down with Dr. Williamson, and I will never forget this because at the start of it, she asked me, she said to me, she said, Angela, it's all well and good that you're serving as president of NABO Phoenix, but what are you going to do with it? And so having women in your life like Dr. Pamela Williamson or other or other mentors or people that can be a sounding board for you can actually push you into a different different sphere of influence. And so my entire presidency I'm sitting there thinking, but what am I going to do with it? But what am I going to do with it? And then over that tenure, it actually, um, COVID actually happened. And so we have to transition everything, not only for my business personally, transition everything into this virtual world, but then also have to transition the association. And then at the same time, we started seeing the statistics behind not only women owners, women business ownership. So at that time, I think that the American Express report was saying that if parity had been reached for minority women-owned business, like $981 billion would have been generated in 2019. And if it had been reached for Black women alone, $522 billion would have been generated. And then fast forward to COVID, and you see that 40% of businesses are shuddering at an alarming rate, you know, at that alarming rate. I found my what? And I heard her say, but what are you going to do with it? And so I launched a nonprofit. And when I launched that nonprofit, the nonprofit was then awarded a half a million dollars to support 20 Black owned businesses across the state. And at the time, that was the largest known grant. Um, given in Arizona for, to support Black and minority-owned businesses. And so I—that that is, to me, a success story that, you know, I was able to see the opportunities that existed in the marketplace, but also see the challenges and then meet those needs. And I think that as um, business owners, we should always be looking for the opportunities that exist. How can we reposition our businesses? I know through COVID, we heard that word pivot quite often. But really, how can we begin to reposition? Because sometimes it's not just a pivot. It is a true reposition in the marketplace um, and and seeing how we might be able to offer different services in a unique way um, to those that might need it. And that goes where it doesn't matter what sector you're in. Um, You just have to look for those opportunities and possibly reposition yourself differently to make sure that you're continuing to thrive and as a as a company.
1: Now, one of the um, challenges for uh, the underserved entrepreneur is uh, the things that you describe: access to support, access to capital. Um, can you share uh, Angela maybe we'll start with you on this um, some some suggestions of where to look for support or capital or the resources uh, in order to be successful?
0: Yeah so you know I think that looking looking to see what resources are free within your community, is always going to be my initial um, suggestion, especially if you're in a space where you're just now starting out and trying to figure out where you are. So you always have those organizations and many people, especially uh, minority businesses, they don't know about like the SBA or the SBDC or SCORE. Those organizations that are um, driven by the government that's there to, excuse me, to Actually support you and to support your growth to make sure that you you as a business owner have the tools and resources that you need to thrive and scale. Um, and that's one one way that I found about being part of being connected to the SBA and SBDC community. That's how I found out about eight A certification um which is helping you to become sole sourced with for government opportunities. And so don't neglect those free resources, but then also um, find communities like WeBeck West and PSW to where you can really tap into and get involved. One of the best programs that I had ever been part of was the Platinum Supplier Program that We Back West has. And like I think I had been in business almost three or four years before I got certified as a, a WBE. And it was like a light bulb click after I went through that Platinum Supplier Program. And so sometimes it's not, you know, so so again, if you're part of a community, like look for how are they really helping their businesses thrive? And Pat had came up and Pat, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it was like coffee, coffee and cultivate. But, you know, even being part of that, that um, experience with PSW and just sitting, listening to other Business owners, those that are right at that, you know, where you want to be these multimillion dollar businesses and listening to some of the struggles that they went through, but understanding that I'm not alone also um, helps. And so finding those finding people that will mentor you um, and not being afraid to um, build out those relationships. Uh, are also resources that I would say, look and see who's there, look into who's where you want to be and start building out those relationships and asking questions, remaining curious, um, and just finding out how how and who is there to help you navigate that, this entrepreneur space.
1: Pat, um, do you have any other suggestions when it comes to resources regarding accessing uh, capital or looking for support or mentorship?
3: So the first I'm going to correct the name of the program that she mentioned. She, she put two different programs together there. Um, she, uh, she mentioned coffee and conversations was what she meant and then cultivate and pitch. So that was two different programs that she, she added, she, she put them together. So, the, so the best, the, um, the best way to do it is sort of look at your, look at your network and, leverage your network. There are a lot of programming out there um, as well that looking at, looking at capital uh, from CDFIs, capital is not, you know, one bank is not where you want to go because some banks does not service, service minority-owned businesses or, or that's not their target each bank has a target so you know people say get to know your banker yes you need to get to know a banker so that way that you' if it's your banker or another banker that person can that knows and knows the industry so it can sort of help you navigate where should I be going to look for capital because if one if you go to one bank or one large bank and that bank their target is not you know, their goal is not to help it. Say, let's if say if you went went to a bank that only sort of funded farmers, and you're looking for to do consulting, they don't understand your business well enough to be able to um, help you with funding, and they would not be funding you. So if you ha- if you keep a banker in your life, or keep a banker in your business, and they know you and know about your business, they can also um, point you in the right direction, whether it's the CDFI, a large banker. Um, and then not only that is this looking for additional resources. She mentioned the SBA for, for additional resources, but, um, it is just becoming that there's no one size fit all when it comes to banking. Just because you bake with some of the larger banks or even with a community bank does not mean that that is where you should be going to look for a loan. Now there are micro lenders out there that do small, very small loans, and then there's there there that will get you through. But then not only that, there's invoice lenders. Say if you got a big, say if you got a big contract and you needed to build out that contract and do that business and um do the, say you got to do a lot of uh got to sell, got to buy a lot of widgets to make a, lo- a product. Well, there's invoicing. Um, opportunities out there. And I'm not saying go for the invoicing that does the 10%, 10 to 15%. But there are some smaller ones out there. There's also, you know, you also have to, when you pick up contracts, and you're looking at contracts and capital, you also need to look at the terms of that contracts and capital. Um because you're also going to have to look at how you're going to have to pay that back. And all of that comes in the term when you're looking for capital. So you got to be careful. Don't just, you know, everybody wants the big contract, but then you also got to service that contract. Got to come up with capital to support that contract. And um, Liam will share a story because... It happens to a lot of uh, minority-owned businesses and women-owned businesses that they will go and they'll get this huge contract. I got someone in San Diego. And if you talk to her, the first thing she said would say is, I almost lost everything. So she received a big contract with one of the large companies in San Diego. I mean, it was huge. And she was excited and everything. And then she found out that the contract was... Um, the payment terms was really far out. And I'm not going to say how many, how far out on purpose. And once she found out how far out they were, and then she's also got to pay her team, the she, she her parents had to mortgage their house. Everybody mortgaged a house for her to service that to, to come up with capital because she hadn't been in long in business long enough to get that capital that she needed that large, that amount of capital. And so when you start a business and you start looking for that business and you just want to go for the big companies, you know, we recommend that, you, hey, start with another Weeby or another MBE so you can start growing that. So you have the capital that, that you can, you can go out and apply for capital. Because, you know, just like you have to have it for anything else you purchase, you have to have that available. And so, you know, she will tell you, and I we we have this conversation a lot, is, you know, stop looking for the big ones. Look for the ones that, you, that will not take you out. And I believe in, you know, one group I was talking to was talking about insurance. Uh, no, don't do insurance until you get, until you sell a hundred units. Well, if some if something happened with one of those hundred units and you become um, you get sued or something like that, you could lose what you've already had. What you, what you did it. so when you started the business, so I always recommend that you look at ways to make sure that you maintain what you started with, but also maintain you know get the capital that you need to scale and grow.
1: Yeah, because sometimes uh, what you wish for, you get. And they might have unintended consequences along the way, right? Like, she exactly. thought she thought she won the lottery. And in essence, you know, it could have really hurt her, Her not only just her, but it could have hurt her family, could have hurt lots of people by getting such a big contract.
3: And, and she talks about it all the time because it's just, you know, it was devastating to her family because she was saying, what are we going to do? And then finally they got to a point where then, you know some of the profits start to come in the door and you know i mean she 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 mortgaged her family's probably all the f- houses in her family probably for 2 years
1: right and because a lot of times people don't understand that sometimes large organizations you know take up to you know a half a year to pay you um and that's just uh, sometimes they take advantage i think of the smaller vendors like that but That's just the reality of working with larger enterprise companies sometimes.
3: Well, also, um, that and the other thing is, is that is also why some of the corporations don't want to don't select smaller businesses because they don't want to put them out of business, not because they don't want to do business with them, but they just don't want to put them out of business as well.
1: Right. So now uh, let's shift gears a little bit and uh, Pam let's talk about your backstory um what kind of inspired you to be an entrepreneur
2: um, well you know what the uh, the main thing um, I'm just uh, is family really um, I am uh, an entrepreneur's entrepreneur and I wanted to plant the seed of entrepreneurship in my family I understand how um, for me important that is i always say take any job and turn it into your company i just believe in that and you can serve the community that way and it has started to blossom my nieces and uh, nephews i've got a few of those who've already um ventured out into the world of entrepreneurship and uh and they always say auntie we watched you <laughs> we saw you grinding and doing your thing so so that was one of the reasons why and then of course as i shared before was to, um, you know, find our place in the community and find out where we can make a difference and where we can help.
1: And that's a great example of representation and and showing up as the entrepreneur and then being a role model to others um, that see that it's possible. You know, that this is a dream that can come true and you can control uh, your own destiny by, you know, becoming your own boss.
2: No, absolutely. Um, I've, I've made it so it's, it's etched on me. But it's dream big always. I remember I was 18 years old. I wrote it on a piece of paper and, and I've moved in that direction always. And, and the message is, is to never quit. I mean, there have been times when I just wanted to throw my hands in the air. But um, but the, the my need to want to complete this mission uh, and this journey uh, was more overwhelming. So you just pass through. But, you know, I, there's a, a quote out there I use all the time. I never lose. I either win or I learn. And, and that just has helped me move through uh, my business and allow me to keep moving forward because each, you know, each of those opportunities sometimes are a learning lesson and, uh, and can change the direction of the company and moving it in, in, uh, in a forward motion.
1: And role modeling kind of that entrepreneurial mindset is leaving a mark as well. You're, you're showing people around you whether they choose to be their own boss or not, but this is how, you know, even if you're working for somebody else, treat them like your customer, right? Value, you know, create value for them as a customer, then that'll help you grow your business. Even if it's your career in a, in an organization. Well,
2: And, and that is so true. You know, I'm a uh my grandson is trying to venture off into a career path. And I told him, find a job that's in that path, in that thing that you want to do. Um, learn from that, you know what I'm saying? And then um, be able to move forward. But now you have a knowledge of how that business operates as you begin to try and create your own. So, no, that that's very important to me. I, like I said, I, I wish everybody <laughs> could be an entrepreneur. And uh, you know, not only for the freedom, but that creativity to be able to bring their gift to the world.
1: And it gives you a chance to be kind of your authentic self in the work that you do um, every day.
2: Absolutely, there's only one version of me. <laughs> so, listen, I, absolutely, and that is that is part of being an entrepreneur. Absolutely, is bringing forward your best you. <laughs>
1: Well, Angela, what's your backstory? How'd you get involved in uh, your coaching and consulting business?
0: Well, my story is a little more unique, more different, I guess, than than Miss Pam's. But um, so, being a first generation entrepreneur, we were always taught you work a nine to five, and that's the that's going to create stability in your life. And so, entrepreneurship was never in my purview, um, and. W- When I worked in the hospitality industry, I've been with uh, Starwood for over 13 plus years, and they announced the sale and acquisition of the hotel, and they announced that I would lose my job. And so, you know, my entire career, I had spent time helping leaders within the organization lead and manage change, but I didn't think that I would become the leader that would have to actually managed this in, entire acquisition. And so I um, i became, everybody jumped ship, the entire executive committee jumped ship during that time. And I, in order to get my severance package, I had to stay and see the acquisition the acquisition through. And when I transitioned out of the hotel industry, I started a nonprofit. And then I went on to help a, another Black woman-owned business um she went into her brick and mortar just as I was transitioning out of nonprofit and she asked me to join her team to help her as she scaled her business and so she was actually the first black woman that I had ever seen in business. I didn't even think that, you know, it again that was possible but working together I understood that my skills were transferable. And um, looking back over my career, I saw how I was able to help every hotel or the nonprofit that I worked for either um, through a season of change and create the results that they wanted to Um, through that season, and or help them create a space for stability. And so when I started working with her, and we were able to get her revenues up by 40% the first year, another 45 plus percent the second year, she was like, you should be doing this for yourself and helping other businesses. And so that's how entrepreneurship started for me is just someone else believing in me, and telling me that I should go out on my own. Um, And then also quite honestly, teaching me about generational wealth and the ability to create your own destiny, your own journey and navigate that. And so had it not been for me seeing another black woman go before me, um, I don't know if I ever would have stepped out on faith or and stepped into this position that I'm in, and I'm glad that I'm able to, be, because now my daughter, who's coming behind me, it's breaking down those barriers for her, and she's stepping into entrepreneurship as well. And so I just now I want to create this space and this legacy. Um, to where anybody that's in our family now, just like Miss Pam, everybody in our family now can realize that they can create the life that they want for themselves.
1: It's funny how once that mindset shifts, mm-hmm. now you see the world in a different way.
0: Yes. And, right? you know, and that, that's importantly, and even with what I do in change management, it starts there. It starts in the mind. First, um, you know, shaping or changing your mindset um, to believe that you're able and capable of doing something or seeing a vision strong enough to walk towards and, and then, then those tools in place to make it happen.
1: And then once you see it, then now everywhere you turn, I'm sure you're seeing opportunities and, and connecting dots in ways that you never did in the past.
0: Yes, yes. And I think it was um, Pat that had said it earlier. But, you know, just looking, looking specifically, like I was having a conversation um, yesterday with a larger go- government entity. And I, I, now I'm asking the right questions. When does that contract expire? Who are your primes? Um, what are the qualifications for that proposal when it comes to bid? And that way I'm preparing myself for future opportunities when they open up
1: now Pat um what about you? What's your backstory How did you uh get involved in the work you're doing now wow
3: well, um i i came from a family of i came from a family of both my family always had eight to fives, but not only did they have eight to fives they had they had they had five to nines, ten to twos, two to fives, you name it. After they walked, after they walked out of the out of one location, they walked into something else. Um <laughs> my mom <laughs> was the family store. We used to have a joke in the house that if you saw if you saw a kid coming around the corner and you wanted a cookie, you better go grab that cookie now. Because she will sell the cookie out of your hand if you were looking at it. Um and I mean, so we've always had some type of that experience in our lives. I've always had some entrepreneur in, in our lives. So how I got to where I am here uh, is based on that, but I used to help nonprofits. Um, I used to help build the infrastructure for nonprofit. Well I, I helped nonprofits um, build infrastructure because all the nonprofits are, are, are started for, you know, out of a passion. Or need that they see that needs to be filled in a community, and then they do they start to build, and then they start to put them up funding in um, themselves, and sometimes they continue to put those fundings in because their passion is so strong that they are not looking at the infrastructure; they're looking at growing that nonprofit, and they all have the most of them have the desire that the nonprofit continues. So I started by um, helping people on my weekends build the infrastructure and the business structure for a nonprofit so that they can continue to, to um, grow and maybe go into chapters. And so that's where I started. Little did I know that when I, and I was also, um, I've been into, I've been in nonprofits for not going to say how many years, but I've been, been here a very long time. And, um, and so once I was offered this opportunity, I realized that m- m- businesses are started from a passion and they're all started from some passion that they believe in but then they don't you know they believe in the the passion and then they don't think about the infrastructure and in order to get capital and in order to scale in order to be that business that you are seeing in your head you've got to have that infrastructure in place too so i spend my time every day it's helping businesses build that infrastructure and making connections to how they can get more contracts. And that's how I got here.
1: And that must be very rewarding to be able to kind of combine all your skills and passions in one place now and focus in on this uh, deserving crowd.
3: Well, and yes, it is, but I was one of those people that kept going from industry to industry at one point in my life. And I kept saying, if you don't soon settle down, you're never going to be an executive <laughs> anywhere. Because it like, it seemed like every time I got hired for a job, it was a different industry. And then I took a position um, in another nonprofit, which surprised the day out of me, because I was not in I was trying to get out of nonprofits. And when I took it out, every industry that I touched. I used in that position. And I was in that position for 16 years because it was just, I was watching my life replay in everything that I did. And it was like, okay, now I know why every industry, everything that I touched in, in my younger days, it was preparing me for what I was coming in front of me. And it amazes me how much that did tie in. And yes, so, and so that position prepared me for this one. So it's always, you know, you think you're going sideways sometimes. Um, even, and business owners feel like they're going sideways. They're not gaining anything. It's just feel like they're just, you know, instead of going up, it's going sideways. Like, okay, I got to step side this way, this way, or this go the other way. And when you do that, there's a foundation that's being built up under you. There's a trust that's being built up under you. There's a, confidence that you're thinking okay i know this area now so i can be better at it so um and that's how i got here
1: well uh do you have a piece of advice you can share for that aspiring entrepreneur um something that will get them maybe to take the
3: leap take the leap just jump (laughs) (laughs) just jump um It is, you know, if you have that desire, if your heart is in it, if your heart's in it, um, know that it is not going to look like you think it looks now. It is, um, you know, you have this vision of what it is today, but know your vision will change. Know that your vision will grow. And as your vision grows, your ability grows. And when you start thinking about it and you're looking back, you sort of just go, this is fun but it's a lot of work <laughs> you know people have a tendency to think oh wow I get a chance to work for myself but I think Pam said wow i was spending my i was spending a lot of time getting this done i was spending the you know and when you start thinking about the time that you put into to, into your business you put a lot of hours into what you believe in and so just jump
1: Pam, do you have any advice for that aspiring entrepreneur? Maybe some you know wisdom. No,
3: I'm going to agree
2: with Ms. Pat all the way. Yes. If you believe in uh, in something, if you have that passion, I tell people all the time, there's a gift that God has put in you to deliver to the world. So if that is evident in you, then you go for it. You go after it. And I think the biggest thing, um, it, I don't even use that word, uh, but but failure, it's not a failure. You bump up against something, you learn from it. You get better from it. And those are some of the foundation bricks that would allow your business to grow. To grow, So absolutely, I jumped off and didn't worry about it. It was a net up underneath. All I knew that I was going to keep going. So absolutely, yes, just go for it.
1: <laughs> what about you, Angela? Any advice other than take action?
0: Definitely echo everything that they say. I would also add to it, don't just do it to make money,
2: That's
0: make an impact, do it to make an impact. And so always have your why in front of you. I know that si- Simon Sinek, what's your why, but if you always have your why right in front of you, then that's going to keep you moving forward, especially during the tough times. I know um, as an entrepreneur, I even, Working with entrepreneurs that are just getting started, they think that they're going to make money right away. And there's going to be these really hard or tough seasons that you have to navigate. And so if you're just in it for the money, then, then that will, that will first of all be a heavy burden on you, especially when that financial stability isn't in place. So go into your organization, um, building out your organization with thinking about how can you make an impact on your community, on your world, your children's world, et cetera. Um, And and if you go into it with making an impact and, and with your why, then those will be your driving forces as you decide how you want to continue to move forward.
1: Great advice. And having that true north that and having metrics that aren't necessarily financial as part of the metrics that matter to you will help you kind of during those tough times. And you'll appreciate the impact you are making and not just focusing on, you know, one metric that may not be working out for you during this period of time.
0: Yeah. And also, Lee, I would say, don't compare your journey to someone else's. And I think that as women, we tend to do that quite often. We tend to look at someone else's where they currently are versus where we where we are at, um, and so that comparison. I, I I love that quote: "Comparison is the thief of joy," um, but that comparison will really. Tr- pull you down. And so be okay with where you are in this moment. But to your point, have a clear plan, a clear vision, and some measurable goals and an action to get you you to where you want to be so that you can focus on what you want and not what someone
1: else is doing. Well, Angela, if somebody wants to connect with you and learn more about your business, what is the best coordinates?
0: So I can be reached at ARGCCgroup.com. And if you want to keep it easy, you can just also go to AngelaGarman.com and you can find my website through that as well.
1: And Pam, what's the best way to connect with you?
2: Well, you can go to my website at tastemissies.com. Uh, not only will you be able to, uh, to reach me, but you can take a look and see what I'm doing out there in the community.
1: And, Pat, if somebody wants to learn more about PSW, what's the coordinates?
3: Visit PSWMSDC.org, and you'll find everything about what we do.
1: Well, thank you all for being part of this roundtable. Um, it is so important to educate and inspire Uh, The next group of entrepreneurs that we got out there because it's important and they're the lifeblood of, um, you know, this country and they're going to help us change the world for the good, I hope. Uh, Dr. Pamela, thank you so much for putting this together. This has been a great conversation.
2: Definitely my pleasure. I enjoyed listening to everyone's tips and also learning more about each of their businesses. So thank you all for joining us.
1: All right, this is Lee Cantor for Dr. Pamela Williamson. We will see you all next time on Women in Motion.